1: I can pull out a group of photos, say these three photos right in front of me, and it says uh, haircuts, 12 by 12, three photos, February 2017. And I can immediately start scrapbooking those photos with the kit that's right next to me, and I have all the information I need to know. I don't have to sit and plan out, well, where is it going to go in the album? What size am I going to do it in? Oh, when were these photos taken? And I'm not trying to print per page either. And for me and in my scrapping style, that is just incredibly helpful and helps me to be very productive.
0: Welcome to Scrapbook Your Way, the show that explores the breadth of ways to be a memory keeper today. I'm your host, Jennifer Wilson, owner of Simple Scrapper and author of The New Rules of Scrapbooking. This is episode 93. In this episode, I'm interviewing Laura Alberts for the My Way series. My Way is all about celebrating the unique ways memory keepers get things done. We're excited to have Laura as the December featured artist at Simple Scrapper. You can find the show notes for this episode at simplescrapper.com/syw093 along with a special offer for podcast listeners to try the Simple Scrapper membership for just $9. And now, my conversation with Laura Alberts. Hey, Laura, welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, Jennifer. I think this is going to be a fun episode. I love these conversations with our featured artists. Could you share a little more about yourself so that our audience can get to know you? Sure.
1: I live in Mississippi. I have five kids. I homeschool some of them. And I have a crafty YouTube channel that keeps me busy the rest of the time. Uh, I do a pretty broad range of crafts, but YouTube is mostly just scrapbooking. Uh, I also do a little bit of art journaling, a little bit of... um, I I dabble in art journaling, I should say. (laughs) Just have a bit of a play with mixed media when I can. But scrapbooking is pretty paper-based for me. I uh, put in a little bit of of splattering, but not heavy mixed media. Uh, I've always been pretty crafty and have been scrapbooking kind of off and on since high school. So it's been about 20 years and uh, very happily married. And like I said, I do homeschool two of my kids and I have five total, three girls,
0: two boys and they keep me pretty busy. Oh, I bet. I bet. Well, I can't wait to kind of dig under the hood of your process and your history as a scrapbooker in this episode. But before we get to that, we have the segment we always do of what's exciting you right now. It's one or two things in scrapbooking that are jazzing you up. It could be a product, an app, a class, a person, an idea, really pretty much anything.
1: Well, the one thing that comes to mind immediately are the new Heidi Swap storyline chapters notebooks.
0: Yes. I, yes. <laughs> I am
1: I have just started one and I've been using it to scrapbook my baby pictures because my baby pictures currently live in a very, very old album and one of those old photo albums. And I'm shocked that I still have them, honestly, but <laughs> they do exist. And so I have copied them, printed them a bit smaller, and I'm scrapping them in this Heidi Swap notebook for my kids to look through because they're so accessible. You know, the giant albums for my little kids are just too big. They're just too bulky. They can't manage them. And I think they would really enjoy seeing those pictures of me as a child growing up in those more accessible little notebooks. And I really enjoyed working in them. I do a lot of smash booking. I do a lot of... I used to do Traveler's Notebooks, but it was just too small of a format. And this Heidi Swap Storyline Chapters Notebook is just the perfect size. It really
0: it's is, big, yes.
1: It is. The, it's big enough that you can get a proper layout, a couple of photos on the page, and still have a little bit of room to journal, still have a little bit of room to add in some of those little pretty things that we like to sprinkle around.
0: Yeah, I've been loving those as well. I've been using it for journaling, but I'm seeing what others are doing and getting all these new ideas for next year. It is just a really lovely size both for the scrapbooker to be able to be big enough, as you said, to be able to put all the things on the page, yet still small enough that it's accessible for others to view. I have definitely over the years shied away from buying more and creating more 12 by 12 albums because nobody wants to pull that off the shelf. Even I don't want to pull it off the shelf because it's so heavy. They are heavy.
1: They are
0: so heavy. My my older kids, I have two teenagers,
1: and they don't mind the 12 by 12s, but my little seven-year-olds have no interest in those giant giant albums. I actually do nine by twelves for them just because they're just that much more accessible to them. And they still reach for their little eight by eight first year album way more often than the nine by 12.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I have some, you know, little like artifact uprising and blurb mini books. And that's, that's what people actually look at is because it's, you know, handhold size too. So it's always something to think about. Um, I think we, it's important to balance you know, your creative journey and your creative needs with the types of things that you want people to look at as well. It doesn't mean you can't do both, but it's, you know, one of the factors to consider. So one of the other things we always talk about here are stories that are on our personal bucket list. So these are, you know, maybe more important or significant. and, And maybe sometimes on the surface, they can even feel trivial, but they're still so critical to who you are as a person and your story. So what's one story on your bucket list, Laura? Uh,
1: The story that's on my bucket list really isn't my story per se, but it's my dad's story. He passed away in 2015, and I have been learning so much about his childhood and what a bit of a scoundrel he was. He would get into some trouble. He was... Nothing illegal, but he would definitely get into some trouble. He would get into some uh, teenage pranks and things like that. And uh, there's so many stories out there of the things that he would get up to. But most of it's most of the people I've talked to have pretty much said he was incredibly trustworthy, a brilliant, loyal friend, that if you got into trouble, you could call my dad and he would be there in a minute to help, regardless if it was good or bad. He was there. (laughs) And I'm finding it really fascinating and I want to share those stories with my kids. And I'm I'm finding photos, which is awesome, but it's more important to me to get actual documentation from the people who lived at that time, what their experiences were and getting those down. Because he's not with us anymore. He's shared a few of those stories. I've heard enough from him to know that he was pretty mischievous most of his life. And I think it would be absolutely hilarious to go through some of these stories and have them documented in an album the kids could look through.
0: Yeah, I love that so much, especially you've you've heard little snippets here and there and it just has piqued your curiosity, but you want to really, let's flesh that out and let's tell the real story behind it. I'm thinking of a lot of things related to my dad as well. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. All right. So this is, of course, a My Way episode. It's all about you and your process and really what... what lights you up and what motivates you as a scrapbooker. So you mentioned that you started scrapbooking in high school. How did that come about?
1: Well, there was a really nice lady at our church who ran a creative memories class. I think this is the beginning story for so many scrappers in the
0: 90s. (laughs) At least 50% of my podcast guests somehow starts with that story.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. I'm telling you, I've heard this over and over again. And I was about 16 And had gone to this creative memories class and was just enraptured with it. I always liked pictures. I always flipped through albums. I always was just fascinated with pictures. Had my own uh, small, inexpensive camera even as a high schooler. And was always fascinated by pictures. And so seeing a format where I could take pictures and put them in an album in a really pretty way and also be creative. Uh, when I was growing up, I did things like cross-stitching and painting and just all kinds of crafty things. Anything crafty, beads, anything I could get my hands on. I had a big sticker collection. And so mm-hmm. this was kind of a mesh of those two loves and passions. And I dove in. My mother bought the stuff. She's <laughs> My mom is very much someone who gets excited about something, buys the stuff for it, and then never picks it up again. And so she had done that. She saw my interest as well. And so she had bought, you know, the fancy scissors and a paper pad or two and an album for each of us. And then she did about two layouts and said, I don't want to do anymore. So (laughs) I inherited all of that stuff right away, had little sticker packs and all kinds of things. And uh, I did a flip through on my YouTube channel of that very first album. And looking back at it just cracks me up. Because you can see that at first I had no idea what to do. And as you progress through the album, you realize that you can see that I'm starting to understand the balance on the pages and how things could look a little neater and more intentional rather than just cutting all my pictures into fun little shapes with those scissors and just taping everything down. <laughs> I, I will say I had to have a pretty good adhesive because those pages
0: are not falling apart. That's impressive considering half of my pages nowadays, the letter stickers fall off. Yes. I have some from just five years ago
1: that are falling apart, but that one from 20 years ago, no, no. (laughs) Those are going nowhere.
0: Well, I think regardless of when you start, that's a natural evolution is that you're going to have some awkwardness of how do these things fit together on the page. And then as you go forward, you're gonna develop more of a comfort level. Uh you'll have more repetition in your own style and you kind of get into a groove with it. And that's that's starting anything. You know, your first um stitches, whether that's you know, uh cross stitch or knitting, your first ones are gonna be a little awkward and not even and then you won't go forward and it gets a little bit easier. Definitely. So I'm guessing that you're not scrapbooking the same way you did back in high school with the same supplies and that extra strong adhesive. So how has your hobby evolved over the years?
1: Well, I would say that for the most part, it stayed pretty similar until around uh, 2017. I pretty much just picked up supplies at the local craft store. Just what anything that looked cute, I would buy. And a lot of those um, huge paper pads that had a bazillion pages in them, but, of course, that super thin paper. And I just kind of stuck things down. Uh, No real rhyme or reason to it. No real design. Just trying to get the pictures and the story on was really all I cared about. And if I got a couple of cute stickers on, that was a bonus. Uh, In 2017 is when I realized that there was scrapbooking on YouTube. And that seems kind of late to make that discovery, but I wasn't really a YouTube watcher. I'm not really a TV watcher. So I'm a heavy reader and had read books. I had bought a couple of scrapbooking books and had kind of started to edge into a more modern style, but really hadn't embraced it yet. And then I found a couple of YouTubers right away that really influenced my huge dramatic shift to my current style Uh, the first one was inky quill Mm -hmm. and I was just fascinated by her use of mixed media because I'd never seen that before in scrapbooking ever and having the background in painting it was fascinating to me I still don't use a lot of mixed media in my scrapbooking I don't know why but I don't really like the warped paper (laughs) I prefer to work on canvas Uh, so that was some of it But I also found Mercy Tierra, who has a very paper-heavy style. And I love the way she would just layer multiple bold patterns together and just seem to have such a natural, free-form style that just came together every time. And she's such an excellent teacher at explaining what she's doing, how she's doing it, where things came from. And once I discovered the world Of American crafts, I could not go back to the regular (laughs) craft store stuff. Once I got my hands on some of those nice thick papers, it was all over.
0: I think, yeah, that's a very similar story. And I think there's, just, you you kind of get a taste of it. And then you realize, oh, let's open that door a little bit wider. Oh, gosh, there's all this here. I had no idea. And it can be a little bit eye-opening, a little even overwhelming in the beginning, but also so exciting to see there's so much possibility and so many things you still yet could create. So Absolutely. Absolutely. They have great channels for sure. So how would you describe your style today? And how did you feel like you know, obviously you had, you know, trial and error, trying different things over the years. How did you realize that this was your style versus maybe other things that you'd tried?
1: So I describe my style as linear whimsy because it starts out with a linear base, almost always. I'm a huge fan of grid layouts. I'm a huge fan of having a nice border or base for my photos to rest on. So generally speaking, the majority of my layouts start out with a linear style. But from there, I do a lot of different techniques to break up that linear style, to soften it, to add the curves, to add movement, to add pops of color and interest around the page and add that little bit of interest and whimsy to it in the embellishing. I think that the easiest way to define your style is to narrow down the three things that you have to have on a page. What are the three most important things? For me, I have to have some sort of a background, whether it is a block of paper, whether it is a trail of stars with some sort of ink, whether it is a uh, occasionally a mixed media background, but quite often mine start with a block of paper. And I have to have that base before I can continue to build. And sometimes I even start with the photo and build the base behind the photo first. But either way, I have to have that that linear security blanket, if you will, to get my page started. Now, the second thing I absolutely have to have on my layouts are words. And whether that is a title, there's not always a title, but. Quite often there are word phrases or embellishments that have words on them. I am a heavy reader, avid avid literature lover, and a writer. So for me, words are just such an important part of my scrapbooking. And the third thing for me are those tiny little detail pieces. For me, it's things like tiny little enamel shapes, nouveau drops, some splattering, anything that adds those fine details that make it feel a little bit more finished I just have to have it on every page.
0: I'm curious if in your selection of word embellishments, so that's title pieces or little smaller embellishments, stamps type of things, does that influence the direction you're going with your story? Because I find it does for me. And so I'm curious, is it, have you already, are you clear on what you're doing and then the, you're looking for things to support that? Or as you're browsing your supplies, does that help you kind of nuance the story you're telling?
1: Absolutely. It definitely influences what story I'm going to tell. And sometimes I'll start with a couple of photos because I do quite often do multiple photo layouts with five kids. I take a lot of pictures (laughs) and there's never just one, Uh, occasionally one, but not very often. And quite often there's already a story happening in the photos. But while I'm scrapping, I quite often will find either a stamp or a word phrase that triggers an idea for the journaling Mm -hmm. and it takes that journaling a little bit deeper for me. And I think that's part of why I incorporate words is it it encourages my brain to think a little bit deeper about the story I'm trying to tell. I journal on just about every single layout. And if I don't, it's because those word phrase choices have pretty much done that for me. Uh, I've pretty much covered the thoughts in those pre-made word phrases.
0: I love that. I love that. Do you, I'm curious in your, you you mentioned this like foundation that you need. Um, Is it always something that's on top of cardstock or do you ever use pattern paper as a background?
1: I use pattern paper about half the time as my background. Uh, Not often busy backgrounds, but usually just very simple things like grids, Uh, Polka dots, stripes, just basic uh, sort of patterns, usually is what I go for. Uh, But occasionally, those like pre made mixed media looking papers, things like that, uh, I will reach for quite often as well. But, and then that helps for me if I start with a pattern paper background. Sometimes that's enough of a base for me. It depends on the photos and it really depends on the design style that I'm thinking about. Because if I'm just doing a grid layout, usually that background is enough of a base for me. I'm going to have enough linear structure in that grid that I don't really have to put down additional bases.
0: Sure. I, I think this, this point that you've made about you need kind of this, uh, some sort of linear structure to it to kind of Settle your mind in order to do later embellishing. And I think that's something that maybe other scrapbookers who are struggling to find comfort in, in composing pages to, to lean on that and to lean on grids and lines and L-shapes to to give that kind of foundation to your page that then you can embellish from. But sometimes if we're just trying to kind of start a little more abstract, it can be more difficult and more awkward. Absolutely. So this question is one that I'm always so fascinated by the responses because it's either it's very, it's not quite polarizing, but there's one huge camp of answers and then another very distant camp of answers. And so I'm curious (laughs) how you stay motivated to create.
1: Uh, Two things. One, I challenge myself constantly to try different styles. Uh, We run a scraplift series, my friend Miranda Weber and I do on our channels twice a month where we scrap lift different types of layouts. And she's a much different scrapper than I am. She's heavy into mixed media, heavy, heavy embellishing. And so she picks a layout once a month and I pick a layout once a month. And so we're challenging each other on that front because I'm obviously going to be drawn to layouts that are very different than the ones she's going to be drawn to. And so it's, that's always a push. So I'm always challenging myself in that way. I love finding challenges on Facebook or in the different groups on Facebook, uh, different layouts on Instagram that I find inspiring and I want to try. I'm constantly challenging myself. And the other side of that is I come into my craft room every single day and do something. Even if it's just fussy cutting, I am a huge fan of fussy cutting and I could spend my entire day and have spent the entire day just fussy cutting paper. And for me, just handling my supplies, getting into my space, being surrounded by all of the pretty things really gets me excited to scrapbook, especially if I have photos sitting out. That for me just makes me want to pick them up and start working with them right away.
0: Yes. Yes. Definitely. You mentioned a couple different things there. The idea of having something for me, if I go ahead and print my journaling on a background, cause I do a lot of hybrid, I can't just have that sit there. Like I have to then make the page. <laughs> so nice. if I can sit down and write something and print it out, like there will be a page that comes from that. Um, or if I print out a photo, like I can't just let it sit there. I have to then make the page. So there's these triggers that our brains want to be cl- completionist about, if you will. Yes, um, yes. but then also can't, can't the, leave that yeah.
1: unfinished project sitting.
0: Yeah, and even though, even if you have problems finishing other things, there's something about that the the starting point that really just gets your mind rolling. I think. And then you also mentioned just kind of this this dabbling. You mentioned your fussy cutting or just touching your supplies, and and I find that doing something without with permission to not create something but just to do to to you know even like die cut some pieces on your cameo or fussy cut the things as you said or make a mixed media background or even just browsing your photos just taking a step without saying I'm making a page can be so inspiring that then makes you want to make that page
1: Oh, absolutely. And even DIY embellishments, I do some of those on my channel as well. Just on days where I want to make something, I want to play with my supplies, but I don't want to sit down for an hour, an hour and a half and do a page. I just want to do something quick. I want to have a little play. And so I'll make a lot of DIY embellishments. And then I also will see a bowl of DIY embellishments on my desk and go, I want to use those.
0: (laughs) For sure. For sure. So December is curating your photos month. And I'm curious, how do you typically choose and display photos in your home? Around my house, the only
1: photos that are displayed are professional photos. And in my scrap room, I have multiple, I think there's about 12 shadow boxes that I rotate scrapbook layouts through. Oh, that's fun. And. So that that has been really helpful. That's something new that I've just done this year and I'm really enjoying it. I think it's pushing me a little bit to try different things just to have something new on the wall even. (laughs) So having different color schemes, having uh, cut files versus not cut files, grids versus not grids and uh, really just trying all of my different go-tos and uh, seeing how I can stretch myself a little bit further because even in the last three years, I've seen such a dramatic change in my scrapbooking that it's kind of fun to see some older layouts up there and then some newer ones. And it inspires me to see, oh, how much further can I stretch my scrapbooking? And how much will it change in the next three years?
0: Well, I think that's, a, that's an important inspiration point is, is the idea of this challenge and growth and you know, you're you're on this journey. It's not about getting to the end because we're never going to catch up with our photos, but how can we use this hobby as a as a tool for stretching and developing ourselves, you know, just individually? Right. So, let's dig more into things that you are loving right now. You've mentioned that you dabbled in in travelers notebooks, but the Heidi swap storyline is a little bit bigger size. What are kind of the formats and sizes that you love in general?
1: I do a lot of 12 by 12 and nine by 12 on my channel. And then I do a little bit of six by 12 as well. Uh, When you go through my albums and I've done a lot of album flip throughs because people just love to see it. And I understand. I love seeing albums too. It's a big mixture of sizes, pocket pages versus full pages. And, Uh, 6x12s versus 9x12s versus 12x12, just because I think it's really interesting to have that different size. It makes it feel a little bit more interactive. And I really enjoy that. But I also find that when you pop a 6x12 into a larger album, it causes you to stop. You might be flipping and flipping and flipping. And then all of a sudden, there's this small insert and it, it makes you stop. It, it catches your attention. And so quite often, if I only have one photo or if it's a very important story, but I don't have a large photo or a bunch of photos to put with it, I'll put it on a 6x12 because it grabs your attention. And I try to make it so that it makes you pause and read it because, well, wait, why is this one smaller? Why is this one different? And it just makes it stand out, and I think that's a lot of fun to have that variety in an album, and it's it's something that I have watched my children do when they're flipping through.
0: Sometimes there's, uh, and I hear this especially from those who maybe came from that creative memories world where it was all about same page size and consistency and you didn't have a lot of flexibility in changing your pages because everything was, you know, all bound together. And I think that there's uh, this trend more towards different sizes in an album because it does create that visual interest. It also gives you some creative flexibility to do something different and play with sizes and shapes differently. And I think I definitely do that. And, uh, I I love having different sizes. Six by 12 is one of my favorite sizes and I wish they would make more six by 12 albums because I would love to do more albums in just that size. Absolutely. I've just found the six by 12 pocket pages and have been popping
1: some of those in because quite often if I make a pocket page, I don't necessarily have a plan for the back. And with the six by 12, I can sit down, make a 12 by 12, essentially pocket page, and then it's front to back. Nice. And I can move on. And that's really nice because I'm not a planner by any stretch of the imagination. And it's easier for me to be able to do a 12 by 12 pocket page, pop it into a 6 by 12, and then I can move on to the next layout.
0: So when you are moving on to that next layout, how does a page start for you? Or do you start with a photo, a story, a product? Does it vary? What does your process look like? I do tend to work from kits
1: and that's usually kits that I've put together myself uh, or collections that I have in my stash. And so I generally have one or two of them on my desk and we'll flip through a, I have a basket full of photos on my desk. So what I do is like twice a year, I'll print out a whole bunch of photos and have them marked with what size I want to do them in. And then I will flip through the photos to see what, goes well with the kit that I'm working with. If I don't find anything that's triggering me with this kit, I'll move on to a different kit. I keep three or four kits ready and assembled in those lovely little, what they call Fajala IKEA organizers. Mm -hmm. And I rotate them until I've just bored. And then I swap out the products and it just makes it easier for me not to have to go search through my stash for every single layout To find the items that I need to make that layout. I am very impatient. I have ADHD and I do not have the kind of attention span necessary to search through my stash for every single page.
0: Well, and I think you knowing yourself and kind of knowing what kind of boundaries you need to, to feel inspired consistently and to actually take action. I think that's really helpful. And so I always encourage, you know, either whether you're belonging to a kit club, kit club or creating your own kits, that can be just what you need to have a smaller number of choices and, and also kind of burst your creativity by having to maybe use the smaller selection of items in new ways. So I love that for sure. Now, specifically to the products you're loving, you mentioned how much, you know, kind of American Crafts kind of uh, opened your eyes to the world. Are, who are you buying from these days and what type of products do you like?
1: I discovered Cocoa Vanilla Studio a couple of years ago, probably via Inky Quill, and absolutely fell in love with their collections. Every single time they come out with one, I had to have it. And being from Australia... They're not easy to get a hold of, especially here in the U.S. They're getting a little easier. I'm I'm finding a few more resources for them. But they really changed the way I looked at scrapbooking supplies and how I rate my favorites in scrapbooking supplies. Because initially I found American Crafts and just started buying all the things. And in 2017, probably doubled my stash because I was so excited about all this new stuff. And when I found Coco Vanilla, it was such a different type of creating. It's uh, more of a watercolory, floral-based type of collections, as well as some very themed boy collections. And it was just something that really triggered in my brain that, wait, I need to narrow down what do I really like? in a scrapbooking collection? What am I looking for? What makes me want to pull it out and work with it right away? Because I was finding myself being drawn back to those coca vanilla collections and ignoring the rest of my stash. And so what it helped me to do was to narrow down, okay, I'm having a passionate response to these coca vanilla collections. What else causes that response? What else is, is drawing me in? And I started to realize that I really like Pink Paisley. I really like pink fresh Studio. And I'm also realizing I like white-based collections. I don't like vintage. I don't like cream. I don't like off-white even. I like white-based collections. And those are the ones that the crispness of that white base really draws me in and gets me excited to play with it having a little bit of that whimsical nature to it. Well, I think but all of those collections have a very linear base with that whimsy added in, uh, particularly Pinkfresh. I think Fresh is a very linear sort of uh, company overall, if you look at their collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they still occasionally throw out, you know, those <laughs> gorgeous florals and watercolor backgrounds. And the Celebration line, I have absolutely hoarded, So (laughs) it's finding that niche in the product market that I think really, really helps you to refine your stash to things you love and not just things that are on sale.
0: Yes. That is such a great soundbite there. Thank you for that. I will probably use that as an excerpt for this episode. (laughs) No, it's so important. I think the more that you can identify what, not even just I like that product or I like this designer, but what is it about it that I really like? And knowing that you like that white base, you like more of the the muted, softer colors, maybe a little bit of a kind of a feminine edge to it. You know, that's so important to being able to then kind of audition new products when there's something new to look at like is this do I can I just admire this for what it is and recognizes that it's not my style or is it oh yeah this totally fits into my repertoire of products that I love to use and so oh, that's, that's ab- such a great absolutely. observation
1: absolutely because I mean I look at Maggie Holmes collections for example and they're beautiful she does an excellent job her florals are stunning Every single time I see papers that I love in her collections. However, it's not white based. It's always off white. It's always cream based and has that vintage touch to it. And every time I buy those collections, I struggle to use them. And I just put them aside and I admire how pretty they are, but I just don't use them. And so I've, I've come to that realization that I really need to stay within my niche of uh, favorites if I intend to actually create with those products.
0: Well, yes. And that's, that's the end goal, isn't it? Is to actually use the things that we buy. Um, but yeah, I think I, I appreciate you sharing this because it's just so important to do that observation of your own habits so that you can be a more informed consumer going forward and less frustrated one at that. For sure. All right. Let's transition to organization. So do you consider yourself a kind of a super organized person or a totally chaotic, not organized person? I would not
1: say that I am organized by any stretch of the imagination, uh, at least not at my desk my desk is always piles of things and a lot of chaos happening in my actual creative space. And I think that's just the way that my brain works. I like to be surrounded by the things I want to be able to quickly reach for things and look up from my page and be inspired. Oh, I want to try that on the page. I want to try this on the page. And I just like to be surrounded by my things, but the rest of my stash is very organized and it's in open storage for the most part because I need to see it. If I don't see it, I won't reach for it. I won't use it. I'm not going to search through my stuff. just I know that that's not going to work for me. So everything is in uh, two Kalex from Ikea uh, bookshelves in my room, and I have everything in open storage, open containers, so that I can see all of it at a glance when I'm looking for it. In my closet, my craft closet, I have more clothes storage because those are not things I reach for quite as often, or they are whole collections put together in those two-gallon bags where I can walk in, go to the Pinkfresh Studio drawer, open it up, quickly flip through the bags and see what collection I want because I have memorized all of them. And who can just go grab, oh, this photo would look great with the Indigo Hills collection. And so I'll run and grab that bag and have the whole collection or what I have left in that bag. And I find that so much easier for me to use than to have stickers over here, papers over here, everything in separate places. Uh, It's just easier for me in that moment to go grab one package of supplies and limit myself to those supplies.
0: Well it sounds like you found really found a system that that works for you and maybe you are kind of just you're organized enough so that you're productive, and that's really what's most important. It's not about having like super fancy display storage and you know having this you know hyper organized system if you can't find anything it doesn't it doesn't mean anything at all. You know, my mom asked me if I wanted to have one of those like big wardrobes, and I'm like, no, I don't think so because I don't think I would use it. I think I would be over organized and I wouldn't I just wanted to keep it perfect and not actually be able to use my supplies and so I love how you found kind of both the storage and the, you know, the systems that work for you in terms of you want to select from the smaller group of products, uh, because that's what inspires you.
1: Absolutely. And you know, those large wardrobe, I know what you're talking about those. Here's the thing. If I had one of those, I would never close it.
0: Oh yeah. That too. <laughs> Be, because
1: I just would feel like I want to see, I want to see what I have. I want to see all the things I would never close it. And so it's kind of lost on me, (laughs) the purpose of it.
0: For sure. So what about your photos? How do you keep them organized and ready to scrapbook with?
1: Now, with my photos, I am pretty organized. I have in my computer, I have them organized in folders by year. And then within those folders by month. And I put my photo or put my layouts away in chronological order, by month and year. And I print them chronologically, I don't necessarily go in order, I don't start in January and work through January to December. Uh, I I have a more open process than that when I'm creating. But when I'm planning out the albums, and I hate planning, but I do it because I like the end product. Mm, Yes. And so I'll have a list piece of paper next to me. And when I'm narrowing down what photos I want, I'll put January and then figure out maybe five to seven pages that I want to document January. And then then I'll pull, copy those photos into another folder for printing. So at the very end, I'll have a folder full of photos to print. And okay, I can send those to the printer, maybe 100 or 150 photos for the year. Send those to the printer, get them back. And I've already gotten my split up. This is January's stories. This is February stories, etc. And I can put post-its on the back, grouping those photos together. So in the basket in front of me, I have a big stack, probably a three, four inch stack of photos. And there are post-its on every section. So they'll say on the back what size the layout needs to be, when they were taken, the month and year. And uh, what maybe an, a title idea occasionally or a journaling prompt. If something in the moment, oh, I want to remember to tell this part of the story, then sometimes I'll write a small journaling prompt on that post it as well. And it's a lot of work to organize that. But what it means is when I sit down to scrapbook, I can pull out a group of photos, say these three photos right in front of me, and it says uh, haircuts. 12 by 12, three photos, February 2017. And I can immediately start scrapbooking those photos with the kit that's right next to me. And I have all the information I need to know. I don't have to sit and plan out, well, where is it going to go in the album? What size am I going to do it in? When were these photos taken? And I'm not trying to print per page either. And for me and in my scrapping style, that is just incredibly helpful and helps me to be very productive.
0: I love this idea. And I think this is going to really resonate with so many of our listeners of how you can you know know exactly what you're going to do when you sit down you just and you get to choose from these you know basically photo collections that you've already pre-planned and I know personally I'm always looking up even if I have a photo I like oh well gosh what's the date now I'm going to put the date stamp on here but I have to go open my software figure out the date on the photo so that I can do that date thing and I may I may stop there because I don't want that hurdle but you've put everything you need to do on the little post-it note and that's just it's just genius
1: Yeah, it's very, very helpful for my process. And while, I I like I said, I don't really enjoy that planning process, I know myself well enough to know that it works for me and that putting in that uh, maybe two days of painful planning helps me to be incredibly productive for six months. And so it's worth doing.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's something that you can maybe lean on some accountability and camaraderie from others in doing so. I just, yeah, I think that sounds so amazing. And I want to spend some time doing that with especially some of my past albums that I I feel like I'm close to finishing, but I know there's gaps. And so to just sit down and really figure out what they are, print the photos, do the sticky notes, I think that would be so genius and so helpful. Oh,
1: absolutely. And having that list too helps you see right when you're planning where there are gaps. Okay, I have a layout, I have five layouts in January. (laughs) Obviously, February is going to need to have an odd number of layouts so that we're not ending in a weird way. And uh, same thing, you get to know December. Oh, we have a weird number of layouts in December. That's not going to work because (laughs) page protectors are two-sided. And so it does help you kind of fill in those gaps along the way. And for me, it also helps me to balance what what stories I'm telling because my kids have their own individual albums and then I have family albums and I do that because my family is so big and if I was to try to squeeze all of our stories into the family albums I would have 10 albums per year
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's insane <laughs> I would never finish a year I would never be able to move on to the next year and with my kids albums that's a bit more free form and when I'm making the family albums, which are very structured, when, I'm, when I find photos in the process of the kids, I go ahead and print those two and mark them, stick them at the back of the photos. And so that if I decide, you know what, I want to tell one of my kids' stories, I have several photos from that year that I'm currently working on in the back that I can reach for and put into their albums Theirs are in order by year, but they're not two-page layouts. They're not heavily structured. They're more stories or letters to them from me. And so I have a little bit of a balance that way within my albums where I have that heavily structured family album, but I also have that free form in the moment, sometimes even current photos of my kids' stories as well.
0: Well, it sounds like you kind of built in a lot of kind of creative flexibility for yourself there. Definitely. I- I'm curious in terms of your ideas, are all the your kind of ideas for layouts you want to create, are all of those kind of on sticky notes kind of placeholders in your albums or do you keep a list somewhere else?
1: No, I do have a list. I have several small notebooks around my uh, room, but I have a list from for each year for the month of the year and what stories I want to tell. Uh, that way that I can check them off. And when I go to put the layouts away, I know, okay, this one goes after the zoo layout. This one goes after the birthdays. This one goes after. And so that way I'm not shifting layouts constantly in my albums. As I know exactly where it's going to go in the album.
0: Nice. All right. So we're down to the biggest question. What is your lesson, like kind of your greatest lesson learned from your scrapbooking experience so far? And obviously you've had, you know, quite a range and, you know, many years to, to kind of reflect on your, your journey.
1: Uh, For this one, I definitely think that the biggest lesson I've learned is that I don't need to take a hundred photos. Mm. or scrap a hundred photos for every event. Uh, This is particularly true for events. I think, you know, you go to a birthday party, you go to Christmas and you spend the entire time behind the camera. You spend the entire time taking pictures of everybody else and you're not in the moment of that event. And I think it's really easy to miss out on so much. If you're constantly behind the camera And for me, especially in the last couple of years, I have started, sure, I'll start the party. We'll take a couple of photos. And if there's a highlight, like someone's blowing out the candles, sure, I'll take a photo. But I don't need a hundred photos of someone blowing out the candles. I don't need a photo of every single present that they've opened. And just having a couple of photos that capture the moment is all I need. And realizing that allowed me to put myself back into the story. And I even end up in photos occasionally now, which never used to happen ever.
0: Well, yeah, sometimes it's as simple as putting your camera down, putting your phone down, that gives someone else an opportunity to take a picture of you as part of the story.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That's yeah. No, I think that's so important, and especially today because it's so much easier to take a bazillion photos. And not only do you not need them to tell the story, you don't want to have to manage them later because then you have to decide which ones to keep and which ones to delete. And if you edit your photos, which ones you are going to edit? It's just there is there is a, a consequence to taking that many photos, and I think. You know, we can learn a lot from, you know, our pet, the, the past world of only having a roll of 12 or 24 and, you know, making sure every shot counts. And I think that really uh, contributes to a really uh, more, more useful scrapbooking process in the end. Oh, absolutely. Because
1: I've had to sift through when my twins were born, I have hundreds and hundreds of photos of them. From every month of their first year. And narrowing it down to one or two photos for each month was a nightmare.
0: Oh, I bet. And
1: that was that was when I was just like, no, 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 no. This is just too much. I have to narrow this process down. And it was also realizing that I don't remember a lot of their first year. A, because I wasn't getting much sleep, but B, because I was taking so many photos and I wasn't in many of the photos. And that really kind of woke me up to the fact that I needed to be more present in the moment and in the story and be a part of the story and not just the storyteller.
0: Mm -hmm. What a, what a lovely thought to conclude on here. So, Laura, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, so many great tips and tricks that I think our listeners will really be able to take away and apply to their own hobby. Can you share where we can find you online and what you have new or coming up?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I am on YouTube. It's just youtube.com slash Laura Alberts 1984, or just search Laura Alberts. Uh, I think I'm the only. Cr- crafting channel that has Laura Alberts, and I have about 600 videos up, so you should be able to find me. And I'm on Instagram as Taking a Scenic Route. That is also my website, Taking a Scenic and on Facebook as well. Uh, for December, I will have December Daily Live Scraps every single Friday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then we also randomly do flip throughs on those lives. We do a lot of scrapbooking and DIY embellishments. And then I post three to four videos a week on my channel.
0: Oh, sounds awesome. We will definitely include the link to your channel and any other information we have about you in the show notes below your Instagram and all that. This has been so delightful and I can't wait for our community to get to know you better during December, your featured artist month. Um, Again, thanks Laura. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And everyone listening, please remember that you have permission to scrapbook your way.